in Samuel 7. And while you are, um, while you're getting there, I'm going to, going to pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is a holy book. Lord, that this, uh, this book, though it was um, written by many, many different uh, people, prophets, um, those who have been uh, keepers of, of your word, it, the, the big A author was you. Lord, we thank you that you have preserved it through, down through the generations and have sent people to help uh, preserve and translate and, and to hold it as, as holy and a, um, a, uh, our instruction manual. Lord, I pray that you'll open it today for us. Let us um, hear something, see something that will change our hearts. And, and use me in any way that you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, i tell you what, could, we, uh, could I get a couple of readers this morning? There's one. Two, thank you. Um, see, uh, Tim, would you mind reading uh, 2 Samuel 1 through... Second uh, Samuel seven one through seven, and uh, Dalu um, eight through seventeen. When King David was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, "I am living in a beautiful suite of palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent." Nathan replied to the king. Go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now, therefore, thus says my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I put you on the pasture from following the sheep that should be from place over my people Israel. I have been with you ever, whenever you went, and I have cut off all the enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time I appointed you for this over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, When your days are fulfilled and you will lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offering after you. Who shall come from your brethren, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I shall establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, you have visited him with the word of men, with the 
Lord would depart from him as I took it from Saul this forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all these great John Newton spoke to me. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, as, as I have been doing in the last uh, several weeks, what I'm going to do again is I'm, I'm going to teach for a little bit and then I'm actually going to give a, a little bit m- more of a sermon message. Um, I've been going through the uh, Christ, uh, what I've been calling Christ of the Covenants, the different major covenant themes of the Old Testament that speak of Jesus. And that was my ad- Advent messages. So we went through the Son of Man, right? So the Son of Son of Man uh, showed that Jesus was actually a a person who was would come a, as a human being uh, in the form of, of you know he wasn't a nebulous God he came just and to set us free and as Steve said he came he came with a mission that was to die right he was he's the son of Abraham uh, he came uh, with with the promise as the promised child. The one that would would take away the sins, the one that would be sacrificed, just as Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain. You know, he said God will supply the lamb, but God didn't supply the lamb there. God supplied a ram, right? The lamb came in Jesus to be uh, to be the son of the father, the promised child that would inherit the world and be sac- but be also be sacrificed for our sins. You know, Abraham was heir of the world. That's what Romans says. Jesus is that heir, and if you are in him, you are joint heirs with him. We also looked at the prophet like Moses, right? So um, Jesus is the one that leads us out of Egypt. He's also the one that was the actual lamb, the Passover lamb. He's the, he's the one that, um, that formed the congregation. You know, Moses formed the congregation in the wilderness. Jesus forms the church, Right? Um, Moses was the, the lawgiver. He was the mediator between God, the God and the people, right? And brought the law. Jesus is the mediator between God and man and brings us his new law, right? Which is the law of Christ, the law of love. So we're going to look at another one today, which is the um, son of David. I'm going to just give a, a little brief um, Son of David is so huge. There's no way to actually. All of these are huge. Right? You could you could spend um, several months on each one of them and barely get scratch the surface. But we're going to do Son of David this morning, and then you know the first Sunday of the new year. I think it's appropriate to do the new covenant. So the new covenant of the new year, right? And we're going to talk about the newness that God brings, and uh, we'll we'll bring that into the the. Uh, new year as well so son of son of david um this the passage that we just read um is where we get a lot of the promise of david but i want to show you um uh flip over to uh, the second psalm real quick um we'll be there in just a half a second while you're getting there i want to explain something there, there was a there was a king before david in israel right Right? Who, who was that? Saul. Saul. Right? Saul. Uh, now, what did Saul look like? Do you remember? He was tall. He, he was tall. He was handsome. It said he was head and shoulders above everybody else. So he was, a, in, 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 he was a giant in his own right. He may not have been as tall as Goliath, but he was a giant among the men of Israel. 
really what, um, do you remember what tribe Saul was from? Benjamin. Do you remember the tribe that was the promised tribe of the king? Thank you. Judah. Judah is the promised tribe of the king. So Saul, even though he was appointed the first king, was never really the promise. He was of the wrong tribe. So what you, what you see with Saul, it is very much, you know, we talked about last week Moses and Joshua. Moses could never fulfill everything that, that God wanted because he represented the law. You will never get into the promised land with the law. It just doesn't work because the law is there to, meant to show us that you can't make it. That's the reason for the law is to show you that you have to have a Savior. You cannot make it by doing all the law. And it's the same way for us today, right? If you try to work good enough, make yourself good enough, do the right things good enough to try to get into heaven, it doesn't work. There's only one way, and that's by a sacrifice. You've got to have a Joshua to take you across the Jordan River. And that Joshua is Jesus. The same way with, with um, Saul and David. Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. He represented the physicality, okay, the, the fleshliness. Right? And what, what God is showing with Saul is that, that flesh side, the, the, the flesh nature. Okay? And I'm not, I'm not talking about sin nature like, like Paul does as much. But Israel, the, the physical nation of Israel, was never going to get to where God wanted them by a physical king. They had to have the promised king in the promised line. Saul represented the, the, the flesh side, the, na the natural side. The natural cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Saul looked like if anybody could inherit it, Saul could. He was a giant of a guy. He was good looking. You know, he was commanding. You know, he's the one that uh, when, 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 after God changed his heart, because if you remember, he was a, he was a scaredy cat, right, at, at first. But then God changes his heart and he goes out and he's ready to take the, the, the nation into battle. Until he sees Goliath, and when he should have taken the nation into the battle, he abdicated. And that's when David comes along from the promised line in Bethlehem. Right? Judah and Bethlehem, which that should ring a bell because we just read all the passages and sung all the songs of out of Bethlehem that Jesus was born. So... David is the, the king, and God says to David, I am going to give you a promised child. I'm going to give you a, a king that is going to come through your line, and it's going to be something supernatural. It's not just going to be the, the next in line. Okay, It's got to be something that I'm going to do. Um, That's why I can't, I was in the wrong book. I'm like, that does not look right. Um, the second psalm, uh, I was in Proverbs. That does not work. Um, 
this is this is the son of David. Okay, and then we're going to look at a couple of passages in the New Testament also. Uh, who the, the son? Who is this son of David? Um, Psalm two. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. What what is? Do you know what that word is in the in the Hebrew? No, the word in the Hebrew is Messiah, Mashiach. Okay, it means anointed one. Do Do you know the the Greek for anointed one? Christ. Christ means anointed one. Christ is not Jesus' last name. All right. Christ means anointed one. So you, you could say here, the, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His Christ, His anointed one, His Messiah, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then He will speak to them in His anger, terrify them in His fury. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Who's that king that that God himself installs? Jesus. If anybody asks a question, the answer is Jesus in church, right? And if it's in school, it's either Jesus or Shakespeare. All right. Um, Ask of me, this is verse, Surely I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. When did that happen? Anybody know? Close. It's a baptism, but not the one you're. This is at his death, burial, and his resurrection. Roman. That's Romans. Um, Romans one and Acts thirteen. At he was declared the son of God in power at his resurrection. Verse eight. Ask of me. This is the Father telling, telling Jesus, his Christ, his anointed one. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. The very ends of the earth is your possession. That's what we just sang about, right? This is a Christ concept. This is when you see Christ in the New Testament, it's a son of David concept. This is speaking of the eternal son of David who would inherit the nations. Flip over flip over to Acts 2. We have Psalm 2, we have Acts 2. Don't go to Romans 2 because then you'll be like what I was doing earlier, trying to find where it's supposed to be. Everybody in Acts 2? We just talked about David Right, God telling David he was going to have a son, and that his son that he would build David a house, that his son would be in a, the eternal heir of the kingdom. Verse verse twenty nine in Acts two. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried; his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. So, 
God swore to David that he was going to seat one of his descendants on God's throne. Okay? So David looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we were all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Do you see that? I don't want, I don't want to spend too much time, um, time here this morning, but when you, when you look at the kingdom in the New Testament, all of the kingdom concepts... Every time it says Christ, this is a son of David. It's a son of David motif. David was a man that he went out and he conquered. And through that conquering, he brought peace. Am I right? He went out and conquered on every, every um, kingdom around him. And then when, when his son Solomon comes... His son Solomon inherits a kingdom of peace. There's a reason Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, right? There's a reason that Solomon, he's a, a prefiguring the son of David, right? There's a reason Solomon comes into a peaceful kingdom and then builds a house, builds a glorious house for God. But when you, when you look in Acts, it says God doesn't dwell in a house made of hands. So this is just a prefiguring of really what the son of David, eternal son of David, Jesus, would actually do. He would come. He would continue to conquer, right? He would have a kingdom of peace, and he would build a house. Not with stones, not with gold, not with bricks but he would build a house of living stones. So when you, when you, son of David is the idea of Jesus being king, the idea of his kingdom, his, the idea of his kingdom expanding, the idea of a temple and a presence in that temple. Remember, David um, acted as a priest king. Am I right? Think about it. David, um, David was the king. Uh, this is in, uh, in Chronicles, remember? David brings the ark up um, from, you know, he brings the ark to Jerusalem. And so what does he, what does he do? He, and he takes it, he doesn't set the tabernacle up and say, okay, you can't, you can't come and see the ark anymore. Remember, that's what Moses did. The ark was hidden back in the 10 by 10 um, a holy of holies. It was ten by ten by ten, right? The perfect it was a, as a perfect cube. The holy of holies. It was hidden back there. Only the priests once a year could go in. What does David do? 
he takes the ark up and he places it right in front of everybody. He says, okay, come and worship. Worship in front of God. He gets up there and he, he gives to the people. He, he takes food and he gives it out to everybody and sends them out. And then he leaves, he appoints worshipers to worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week before the ark in the tent of the tent of David, showing that the veil would be torn in two. When Jesus came, there would not be the veil that kept um, the people from the presence of God. Right? Remember, remember Jesus when he dies on the cross, it says the veil was torn in two. The veil would be would be torn in two. All of a sudden, the presence of God is is brought out to for access to the people. Look, you're in Acts 2 already. Flip over to Acts 15. This is James. You got Acts 15? If you, if it comes right after Acts 14. And we're going to go, go to uh, verse 15, okay? With these words of the prophets agreed, just as it is written, After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which is fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles, Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. The tabernacle of David was the tabernacle set up so that the presence of God um, was accessible to everybody. Which is what we have today. Right? Because we're part of that tab- We're part of the temple. It's no longer a physical building that um, is secured and, and, and walled off from people going in. God wants to put his presence in us. That is a son of David concept. Okay, because David has a son, we can be the new temple. His son, Jesus, creates the new temple. His son, Jesus, rules as priest and king. His son, Jesus, um, is, is the ruler of the kingdom that extends over all of the earth and brings peace. As, the, as, as it goes Further and further around the world, peace comes. That's the son of David. Okay? So, um, you know, it, I'm, I'm going to stop right there, but I want to just say, anytime you see Christ, you know, um, uh, they, uh, they ask, Jesus asked the disciples, who is the son of man? Right? We, we looked at this in Matthew 16 a while back, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. And Peter Peter says, what? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. What is he saying? You are David's son. It's it's also a, a, a son of man concept, but it's also son of David. You are David's son and the son of God. Okay? So when you start looking at it in the New Testament, Old Testament, you see it everywhere. And we, we need to see these great motifs. To, number one, for us to see 
the Old Testament is an incredible book that God has put together to show us the New Testament before the New Testament was put together. It's all there. It's all there. When, when Paul came into a, a um, synagogue, it said he opened the scriptures and taught them Jesus. Well, did he teach them Jesus from Corinthians and Ephesians and Colossians and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John? No. What did he do? He opened the Old Testament and showed them Jesus out of the Old Testament. What did he show them? Well, I'm sure he showed them the son of man and the prophet like Moses and the son of David and the son of Abraham. and said, this is who fulfills all of these promises. It's Jesus. So when you read the Old Testament, start seeing Jesus through every page. Every page you can see Jesus on, on that page. When you start looking in the, in the New Testament, you can go, this is how the Old Testament promises are all fulfilled in Christ, in Jesus. Okay? Let's, um, if you would flip back to, uh, to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 7. That is a very, very brief <laughs> overview. 2 Samuel 7. Let me, uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you all have had a prayer that was not answered? And I, and I mean, and I mean not, not, a, not a soulish prayer, okay? I'm not, you know, James says, you, you ask with wrong motives. That's why your prayers aren't answered because you're asking just to, to um, use, use it on yourself. I'm not talking, I'm talking a good prayer. A, a prayer that you know this is something that God would want. Right? How many of y'all have had one of those prayers that have not been answered? Right? Or, or answered no. The, the God said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Of course, then you start singing Garth Brooks' song. <laughs> Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Does anybody else know that or is it just me? Oh, my goodness. I'm in the wrong state. <laughs> David had one of those prayers. Or one of his desires. He says, I want to build a house for God. I want to build God a house. And initially Nathan comes in and he says, Great! Whatever's in your heart, go do it. Right? So this is a good thing. He's, he tells David, he looks at David and says, Look, it's in your heart. That's awesome to think about, about doing that for God. Go do it with all your heart. And God says, tells Nathan, Nah, go back. Tell him no. Why would God not answer, or answer no, if you will, to a prayer, to a desire that is really good. It's something that would be, at least what we think, is really good and something that God would want.
what God wants to do is to give us a bigger and better promise. So number one, the, the promise I think that, that God wants to, oftentimes we don't see fully with our own eyes what all God wants to do. We only see a part. Okay? And we'll come to the Lord and we'll say, Lord, would you, would you do this? This would be so good. And he says, no, I, w- I don't want to do that for you. And we have a tendency to, to take that as more of an offense. Well, God, why wouldn't you do that for me? Isn't this good? Aren't I trying to serve you? Am I not, have I not done all this thing for you, Lord? Can't you do this for me? And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to. But why would he not, why would he say no to that prayer, say no to that request? It's a bigger promise. It's a greater promise that he wants to give. And that promise is, is number one, it, it's, a, it's something that only that God can do. Um, verse 12, and this is verse, 2 Samuel 7 again. When, you, when your days are complete, verse 12, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. Okay, this is something, see, notice it said, I will do this. Building a house for God was something that David could do. Right, and if you look, and if you look in the scripture, you look at, David went out and conquered, and he not only, so he got lots of wealth as he conquered the different nations around him, or they would pay tribute to him. And so he got money, you know, he got jewels and, and wealth and lands. David amassed huge amounts of, of resources. Why did, how was Solomon able to start off the way he did? Because David had amassed huge amounts of resources. And it was added to by Solomon. Where did Solomon get all of the, the resources for this temple that... Um, if you look at the temple, I mean, it's covered in gold. They even, they even show you, uh, tell you, okay, this is the, the gold that you use for the nails. Now, I don't know about you. I've driven lots of nails in my time. I've never used a gold nail, nor would I ever use a gold nail. I'm, I'm sticking the nail into the wood, and it's never going to be seen again, right? I'm not going to use a gold nail for something I can't. But they used gold nails in the temple. They covered the stones in gold. Everything's covered in gold. Where did they get it? David, for the most part. David could have built God a really good house, but God says, no, this is something that I alone can do. When God says no to one of those requests, he wants to come back and say, you want to do this, but I want to do this for you. Is something that I alone can do. I know in my in my own life, you know, I I really want to to see God's kingdom built and expand. I want to, you know, see the the church vibrant and full of life. I want to see everybody using their their gifts. I want to see, uh, you know, uh, amazing worship and. And, um, you know, people streaming, streaming in to give their hearts for, to the Lord. 
That's what I want. I want to see the churches, you know, working together. I want to see all the pastors saying, look, look let's, let's go in one direction. Let's, let's take this area for, for the kingdom of God. I want to see revival come about. But you know what? I can't do it. There's certain things that I can do. I've learned how to preach a good message. Hopefully I do every once in a while. You know, I've learned about study. I can go in and I can dig deep into the theological stuff and I can give you, I can give you guys things that you really don't care about and I do. And I'm like, oh, this is really cool, right? Uh, I, I can do all that. I cannot bring revival. But God has told me, so I want to use you as a catalyst for revival. I can't do that. I, I can say, Lord, I want to I work in your church and I want to be a good preacher and I want to preach to thousands of people. I can't bring revival. The Lord said, I want to give you a promise. I want to do something for you that you can't do. Often when God says no to something we ask him for, it's because he wants to do something that we can't do. His promises, a lot of times, are those promises that you can't do by yourself. Because if you could, you would, and you'd get the credit. If you can't, and God does, he gets the glory. And he doesn't share his glory with anybody. He wants to make sure that he gets the glory and not us. So God wants to give us a promise that only he can do. Um, next, oftentimes the promises of God, what he wants, is he wants them to not just be for us. He wants it to be transgenerational. He wants to build transgenerationally. Uh, verse 13, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be a father to him and he will be a son to me. All right. It, God doesn't want just a God doesn't want David just to build a tabernacle, a temple, a you know, something that, that can be knocked down, which was knocked down more than once when Solomon built it. Right? Can, has, has anyone here been to the temple in Jerusalem? Nobody's been over there? Nobody, nobody's been to the temple? Anybody been to Jerusalem? Okay. So you haven't seen the temple? What, why, why? Nobody's been to the temple in Jerusalem because it doesn't exist. Right? It, 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 was, it was leveled. It was completely leveled by the Romans and now the Dome of the Rock is there and the Jews don't know, number one, they can't go over there because you've got the, this Muslim thing. And then they also don't know where the Holy of Holies is, so they, they don't want to step on the Holy of Holies and get fried, right? So the temple is wiped out. See, God doesn't want something that's just for this generation. He wants to give us promises that are transgenerational, something that only that He can do but that he wants to build in us for the next generation down. Are we thinking just about us, or are we thinking about the next generation? 
Are we asking God for a promise or something good, something that just for us? Or are we thinking, Lord, let I want this promise that I can hand down to my kids and grandkids. I want I want a church that that is um, that live, outlives us. Right? I want a movement that outlives this generation and the next generation. That it that this maybe it'll start here, but it's not for me. It'll be I want somebody to come along and stand on my shoulders. That's my hope and, and prayer. It, that so much so much of the, that happens today is um, people get into ministry and they think they have to clear the entire thing and uh, start over. No, I, 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 want, I want somebody to be able to come along and stand on my shoulders and say, you know, I, I don't want them to have to go through the, the, the trial and the, the desert and stuff that I've been through. I want to be able to say, look, let me save you time. You, not that you're not going to have trials and stuff along the way, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you. I'm going to take you by the hand. I'm going to lead you through so that you don't have to spend 20 and 30 years in preparation. You're going to be five to ten years, and if you'll listen and if you'll, you'll grow and if you'll, I can walk beside you, that way you can step on my shoulders. And instead of starting out when you're 50 and rolling, you're going to start out when you're 30. Stand on my shoulders and go. I want my kids to have more than I do in the spirit and in the natural. Why? Because it's, it's a lot easier, it's a lot better if they inherit than it is for them to have to work, work for it themselves. Right? I'm not saying you don't work. I am, what I'm saying is if you're working and you inherit, then that adds. And I'm talking, also, I'm talking more even spiritually than I am um, naturally. If they don't have to learn and, and start from scratch on how to use their spiritual gifts, and they can come along and say, how, do, how does this work? How does this prophetic thing work? How does this giving thing work? How does this servant thing work? How, does, how do these things work? And all of a sudden, they're learning. Instead of having to figure it out, they're stepping on somebody's shoulder and they're going further. Are we building transgenerationally? The promise of God is something that only He can do. He wants to give us, he doesn't want you to just keep our, our minds on these things that we can do. But he wants to give us something that only he can do. He wants it to be something that is transgenerational, that it lasts longer than us. And finally, it has to only be in Jesus. Only be in Jesus. Again, in um, you know, verse 14, I'll be a father to him. He will be a son to me. And it goes on and talks about, your house and your kingdom shall endure for, before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. It's only in Jesus. You know, in, if you look at the natural line of David, the kingly line. It goes down to Zedekiah. And Zedekiah is the last king of, of Judah. Remember you have Israel in the north, you have Judah in the south. Um, in, in the south, in Judah, the kingdom was mostly passed um, peacefully, which 
you know, that, that's how the kingdom should be passed. In the, in, is, in the northern kingdom of Israel, it was whoever was the strongest. You take out the king, and then you become king. And then, then that king would be taken out, and then that other person would become king. In Judah, it was the natural lineage of David getting passed one down to the of next, down to Zedekiah, and then there's no more king until Jesus. And there's no more king after him either. It has to be in Jesus. I mentioned this before, but when God does something for us, He gives us a promise. We ask Him, Oh Lord, would you do this for me? And He says, No. We should, also be, we should be keeping our ears out and saying, Okay, then what is it you want to do? Because what He will say, he'll, You ask, He says, Oh Lord, would you heal me? No. Okay, then what, what do you have planned? I want to give you something more. I want to give you something greater. Something only God can do. It's something that's transgenerational. It's something that, 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 that um, lasts beyond us. It's, it's something that brings glory to Jesus. That He alone gets the glory. Jesus alone gets the glory. Only He can do it, and only He can get the glory. Because if it's something that we can do, if it's something that our own hands will work out for us, then it's something that we can get credit for. You know, I, I think of um, those... Oftentimes God says no to people. You know, you um, you look at somebody like like Helen Keller, and you think, you know what? Why wouldn't God take someone and, and heal somebody like like a Helen Keller or or like like a like Carolyn or these different? You know, you think I'd love to see them healed, but you know, you you take someone like Helen Keller, and how much did she pass on along that is living today? Right? How much is Carolyn passing along that's living? You know, you're, you've got a book that's going to outlive you. And people are going to read for, for you know, down the line and say, this is, this is something that's more than, it's more than her. Right? And it gives glory to Christ gives glory to Jesus so how many of y'all have had one of those prayers that God says no to we need to ask him and say okay Lord if you said no then what is it what's the promise I should be looking for what's that promise because God's not just saying no to something that's good. He's saying, I want to do something bigger. I want to do something better. I want to, do, I want to give you something that is, that is going to outlive you. It's going to be for the next generation. And it's going to give my son glory. So let's pray. Lord, I pray for these right 
Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to raise my hand, Lord. I'm right here. For all of those who have we've come to you and we've said, and you, for some reason, you've said no. I'm not going to answer that prayer. I'm not going to answer that desire. I'm not going to answer that hope. Lord, and I'm asking for me and I'm asking for every person here that is, is in the same place. It says, Lord, then what is it? What's the promise? If you're saying no to something good, then you must have something better. What's the promise? Lord, I ask that you would begin to show that to each person here. Everyone that has, has had that no from you from for some reason. Lord, I pray that you will start showing them what that greater promise is. What that greater glory is. The, the thing that you really want to get done. So Lord, I pray for that individually for each person here. Those who, And Lord, I also pray for it for this house, for this church. Lord, show us what the greater purpose is for this church. That, that, that will, something that will outlive all of us. That we can, that is passed down to the next generation and the next generation after that. What is the greater promise here? Well, we don't want any of it to just end with us. We want people to stand on their shoulders and say, I, I, I was able to get a lot further because I, I stood on my dad's or my granddad's shoulders. I was able to stand on the person before me. I, I didn't have to clear the pathway that he did or she did. Lord, I pray that you'll reveal those things to us and use us. So now, Lord, I, I bless each person here. I bless their family. Lord, those who are not here this morning for some reason or another, Lord, I, I, I pray your blessing over them. I, I bless with the blessing of peace upon each person, family. Ask for rest for those who need rest. Ask for healing for those who need healing. Provision for those who need provision. Grace for those who need grace and mercy, Lord. And Lord, I ask that you would go before us, that you would be our rear guard, that nothing would come near us to harm us. And Lord, use us to see your kingdom expanded even this week. In Jesus' name, amen. It's always good to see everybody. Um, we'll be praying on Wednesday night.